Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. Reading from verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord of your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John, for the reading of God's Word this evening. Thank you, everyone. Good evening. It's indeed a pleasure and a joy to be able to stand here and share the, God, uh, the Word of God with you. I know there are many who are joining us online, and here's a shout-out to all of you. Wish you are physically here present with us, but let's pray that the COVID situation will improve and we can go back to life as normal soon. I love the Word of God. How many of us love the Word of God? Yeah, okay, I see some hands. <laughs> yeah, and uh, how many believe that the Word of God is true and can bring comfort to our souls? Okay, more hands. Yeah, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Yeah, our biblical text for today is taken from Proverbs 3, 5 to 12. Um, that, that's where John has already read the scripture for us, and we thank God for the word. Now, did you know, inside every airplane are instruments that are critical to flying the aircraft. The instruments will give a true reading of how the aircraft is flying, even if a pilot's mind may tell him differently. On a clear, sunny day, a pilot may not need some of these instruments, but at night or in poor visibility, these instruments become vital to his survival. Many planes have crashed because the pilot became disoriented and failed to trust his instruments. Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Patton flew as an F-15 fighter pilot in Desert Storm. On the first night of the war, his mission was to escort a formation of fighters in bombing a chemical weapons plant in northern Iraq. The date for Desert Storm was chosen because the absence of moonlight and the high clouds helped the attacking Allied fighters from being detected by enemy defences. Flying in total darkness, the pilots became completely dependent upon his instruments. Shortly after crossing into Iraq, Colonel Patton's jet was locked onto by an Iraqi surface-to-air missile radar. He violently manoeuvred his aircraft to break the radar's lock on, it, on him. His manoeuvre successfully broke the lock, but it created a new problem. Those radical movements in the dark threw off the balance in his inner ear, which is what happens when a person gets dizzy, causing him to become disoriented. His mind was telling him his plane was in a climbing right turn, but when he checked his instruments, they indicated he was in a 60 degrees dive towards the ground. He was sure he was in a climb instead of a dive and his mind was screaming at him to lower the nose of his F-15 to halt the climb. 
while his mind commanded him to correct the plane in one direction, his instruments instructed him to do just the opposite. Because he was flying in total darkness, he had to decide quickly whether to trust his mind or his instruments. His life depended on making the correct choice. Even though it took everything within him to overcome what his mind was telling him, he decided to trust his instruments. He rolled his wings level and pulled his F-15 upward, which drew seven times the force of gravity, pulling the aircraft out of its dive. It only took a few moments to realise he had made the right decision. If he had lowered the nose of his jet just like his mind had been telling him, he would have crashed the plane. Trusting his instruments saved his life. Immediately, he looked at his altimeter, which told him the elevation of his aircraft. He narrowly escaped colliding into the mountains of Iraq by just 2,000 feet. Although he had made the correct decision by trusting his instruments, he realised if he had delayed just three more seconds, his plane would have crashed into the mountains. Every right decision can be wrong ones if they are made too late. Colonel Patton averted the crash by trusting in his instruments and not on his own understanding. In the same way, God has given us more than the instruments that, but the person of the Holy Spirit to guide us in our walk with Him. Today, we will seek to understand God's wisdom in a fallen world that we live in. Let's now turn to look at the text in detail. So, what does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not to lean on your own understanding, to, in all your ways to acknowledge Him? and he will make your path straight. I will attempt to unpack these two verses. Okay, the background of Proverbs was mainly written by King Solomon, who reigned over Israel between 970 and 931 BC. Some other authors include Agar and King Lemuel. It is said to be a wisdom literature as it seeks to drive the truth of God and to turn sinners away from their wicked ways. The prologue in chapter 1 clearly highlights the purpose and theme of the book, that is, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Okay, we have youths today. Eh? Please listen to the word of God, youths, and to make man, wise men wiser. Essentially, the book of Proverbs is about gaining wisdom and avoiding the pitfalls of folly, which will lead to health and success. But this can only be attained when we have the right perspective, that is, to have the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God does not mean being afraid of Him, but having a healthy and respect and reverence for God by taking His instructions seriously and living it out daily. According to Proverbs, those who walk in the fear of God will enjoy a contented, fulfilled and respected life in the community. The word trust simply means to have confidence or faith in someone or something. Trust is a choice we made. It is not something that can be forced on us. If we are going to trust someone, we must do it voluntarily. To trust someone is to make yourself dependent on that person for some result or consequence. In this general call to be the faithful to the Lord, several instructions need to be addressed. The first is to trust in the Lord and not in oneself. Because God is the one who grants success. The word trust in Hebrew is bata, and it carries the notion that the confidence is to be in the Lord and not in human understanding. 
Therefore, the object of faith should be characterized by total commitment that is with all your heart and in all your ways. We are also instructed not to lean on our own understanding. This would mean that we are to place ourselves in a position of helpless reliance and total commitment to God. The warning, therefore, is against relying on our own understanding and thereby missing out on God's will. This, of course, does not suggest that we turn off our brains and ignore our common sense and intelligence. It cautions us not to depend solely on our human wisdom and experiences. The distinction is between the Hebrew word bina, or understanding that wisdom brings, and the natural bina that undermines faith. When we become wise in our own eyes, then we are headed for trouble. In verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. The traditional understanding of acknowledge him in verse 6 needs to be refined here. The expression suggests confess him. But the verb is to know him. And this reflects the intimate experience of a personal relationship. This may also suggest the communication of a promise. By trusting him fully, you will know him. What these expressions call for is absolute obedience and surrender in every realm of life. When obedient faith is present, the Lord will guide us along life's journey in spite of difficulties and hindrances. The idea then is the contrast between straight and the crooked and perverse ways of the wicked. There are, four, there are many biblical characters we can look at, but for today, we will look at four, namely Job, King Solomon, the poor widow in the widow's two mites, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. The story of Job can be found in chapters, uh, Job chapters 1 to 2, King Solomon's in, chapter, in 1 Kings chapters 1 to 2, to 11 and 2nd Chronicles chapters 1 to 9, the widow's offering in Luke 21 verses 1 to 4, and Mary's encounter in Luke 1, 26 to 38. For the sake of time, I will not be reading these passages, but you can look, look them up later. I've included them in the slides. Job was a righteous man who feared God and lived a blameless life. He was an extremely wealthy man with enormous livestock. He had seven sons and three daughters and many servants. He was considered the greatest man among all the people of the East. Not only did Job walk in the fear of the Lord, he ensured that offerings were made on his children's behalf after each party to ensure that they do, did not do or say anything offensive towards God. The story of Job reminds me of the parents at Anglican High School. Their parents who travail before the Lord Lifting their children daily, not just for their studies, but most importantly, in their personal relationship with God. And that's why I get texts from the parents all the time, updates on all the prayers that, that they, are, they are communicating with one another, lifting their children. So awesome, parents, wonderful. So, however, in Job 2, we learn that Job's life took a turn for the worse. He lost all ten of his children, his entire livestock, and even his life was threatened. He was afflicted with diseases, so much so that his wife told him to curse God and die. Can you imagine? Although did, Job did not berate God for his suffering, he did question why these things had happened to him. When bad things happen to us, often we would complain and question why things happened the way it did. Scripture tells us God spoke directly to Job by asking him a series of questions about creation. 
Where did it come from? How did it operate? How did the animals live? How did God's justice work? Job had no answer and came to realize how little he knew about God and, and his ways. Through his experience, Job realized that his understanding of God was limited. Through his, therefore, he concluded by saying, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job confessed that he had spoken out of turn in doubting God. He now understood that he was accountable to God and not God to him. Eventually, his trust in God paid off and God restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as what was originally lost. Another character to zoom in is King Solomon. When God appeared to King Solomon in a dream, he told him he can ask for anything. Solomon did not ask for wealth, riches or honour, nor the death of his enemies, nor did he ask for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern God's people, to have a discerning heart and to distinguish between right and wrong. So the Lord was pleased with his request. To top it off, God gave Solomon what he had not asked for, both riches and honour, such that in his lifetime he will have no equal among kings. One of Solomon's greatest achievements was the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, this is the, this is the picture that I can, the best picture I can find, <laughs> okay? You, may, you might be able to go into uh, the, the YouTube and get better ones, okay? But this is what I, the best I can do, okay? So, his greatest achievements was the building of the temple in Jerusalem, which housed the Ark of the Covenant. The magnificence of the temple was a reflection of the wealth Solomon accumulated as king. Reports of the lavish adornment supported the claim that he was greater in riches than all the other kings of the earth. His wealth came from taxes, tribute, commerce, and the many gifts he received. Solomon's reputation as the fount of godly wisdom spread throughout the region. Dignitaries from near and far came to hear him speak, including Queen Sheba, who wanted to test his wisdom by posing difficult questions for him to solve. But nothing was too complex for Solomon. So she was quickly impressed by his intellect. The queen was also astounded by what she saw of Solomon's court, his opulent palace, the lavish provisions on his table, the number of servants, the uniform they wore, and the number of sacrifices they offered. Her verdict was that the reality of Solomon's wisdom and welfare exceeded the rumours she had heard. She said she would not have believed if she had not seen it with her own eyes. Solomon and his people, she concluded, must be very happy. However, the queen attributed his prosperity not on Solomon's own skills, but to God's love for his people and his delight in Solomon. Her complimentary words reminded Solomon that the king's task was to maintain justice and righteousness. Early on, in Solomon's reign, he entered a political alliance with Egypt by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. This speaks of future trouble. Having harem, large harems those, those days were common. Therefore, it would seem like a valid reason for Solomon to strengthen foreign alliances through political marriages. But God had specifically forbidden such intermarriages, for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Scripture tells us, as Solomon grew old, his 700 wives and 300 concubines turned his heart after other gods and led him astray. That adversely affected his faith. He slowly and gradually drifted from an exclusive monotheism 
the worship of one God and began incorporating worship of many gods. Solomon's personal moral failure resulted in national tragedy. God would not permit the kingdom to remain intact after Solomon's death because Solomon failed to keep his covenant and decrees with God. God raised up adversaries to afflict him both internally and externally. In 1 Chronicles 28.9, King David, his father, specifically instructed him to serve God wholeheartedly. He said, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledged the God of your father and served him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Solomon did not heed the advice of his, his father David. He also did not consider the ways of the Lord. He had forgotten that it was God who gave him the success in the beginning. Solomon allowed his own wisdom to dictate the affairs of his heart and allowed religious compromises to lure him away from God. Religious compromise does not happen overnight. It happens gradually over a period of time. And people do not fall away from their faith just like that. That is why we have to be careful how we walk with God. We must have a spiritual discipline to keep us in check. Reading the Bible and praying daily, coming to church and being a part of a cell group and can help us in our journey of faith. Another character to zoom in is the poor widow in Luke chapter 21 verses 1 to 4. What caught Jesus' attention at the temple treasury was not the rich who put in their gifts, but the poor widow who put in two very small copper coins. The widow's mite, as is commonly known, is the lightest and least valuable coin of the period. Widows had little means of support. They were socially powerless and were to be protected under the Jewish law. Yet, they were often exploited by the Jewish teachers to give above and beyond their usual ties. When the widow gave her two small copper coins, by contrast, Jesus is saying that the widow gave more than all the others. He said, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus is not looking at the amount, but he's looking at the heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, it says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Often, we worry too much about many things. We worry about our studies for the young people, our finances, our careers, our job prospects, children, health, future, and so on. But our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask of Him. He desires us to go to Him. He expects us to trust in Him completely, not half-heartedly. Unfortunately for many of us, we would only allow God to deal with certain areas, but not all aspects of our lives. It's like telling God, I can offer you my time, but not my finances. I can serve you, but if it, only if it's convenient for me to do so. Or, I'm too young. Or, I'm too old. In Matthew 6, 25-31, 
uh, 33, sorry. <laughs> Jesus tells us not to worry about our life, what we will eat or drink, or about our body, what we will wear. He said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He carried on to say, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in buns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I had a casual conversation with a grandfather recently, and we touched a little on the subject of tithing. What he shared triggered some reflections. He said, God, our Heavenly Father, delights in us when we give to Him, no matter how big or small the amount is. Just like when his, grand, when his children or grandchildren brought Him something, even if it's a dollar, that itself is delightful to Him. Another example is Mary, the mother of Joseph. Uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke 1, 26-38. She was a young virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. In Judaism, virgins were young maidens, usually 14 or younger. Since engagement often took place soon after puberty, Mary may have just entered her teens. This relationship is legally binding, although consummation would only be permitted after marriage. Only divorce or death could end the engagement. In the event of death, the girl, though unmarried, would be considered a widow. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she'll be pregnant with child, instead of rejecting the idea, she submitted to God and trusted in His sovereign plan for her life. Mary's response was, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It must have been a scary thought for Mary when she received the message. She was still young and she probably thought to herself, what would people think of me? Especially her betrothed husband, Joseph. She would have to face public disgrace and shame too. Could God have used someone else instead of Mary? Absolutely. God is no respecter of persons. He uses whoever whose heart is devoted and yielded to Him. Mary was chosen, I believe, because of her obedience to the will of God. She trusted in God and offered herself to be used by God. As a result, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born. As we look at these four characters, we see that all love God and walk in the fear of God, with the exception of King Solomon, who deviated from God's plan and chose to walk in his own human wisdom. A student once asked a neuroscience professor what she thought about Elon Musk's project to control the human brain. The professor very confidently pointed out that the human brain, with millions of neurons and synapses, is a near impossible. The complexity of the human brain is beyond human understanding. Man's wisdom can never match against the wisdom of God. In spite of his intellect, Solomon could not comprehend the wisdom of God. He compromised in terms of his covenant relationship with God. He had used his God-given wisdom to direct the affairs of his state, but he did not allow God to dictate the affairs of his heart. He did not recognize God as the one who can give 
and the one who can take away. Solomon had followed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to plout his judgments. He started well, but ended badly. And at the end, he came to a conclusion that everything is meaningless. Solomon failed to understand that the kind of wisdom that God requires of him has to do more with his character than his intellect. Intellect is obviously important for us to understand God's truths. And we are called to live our lives according to them. Without such commitment, we would miss out on true wisdom, which originates from having a personal relationship with God. For Job, it wasn't a kiss, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be moment, but a quiet confidence and total surrender to God. When everything was taken away from Job, the first thing he did was got up, tore his robe, shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. Despite losing everything, Job was able to thank God by saying, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. As for the widow, again, we were not told about her background, if she had families to feed, a roof over her head, or when her next meal will be. Yet, she trusted that God will provide. The widow showed a complete trust in God, even as she gave her all. Through her actions, she not only showcased her love and devotion to the Lord, but also demonstrated her total dependence on God. She sees God as her provider, Therefore, she does not need to worry about anything in life. She leaned on God completely. How about Mary? Do you think it was an easy decision for Mary when she first heard the message from the angel? Was it easy for Mary to bear such a burden? I personally don't think so. Mary must have struggled in her heart big time. Just imagine with me, if God were to come to any one of you, would you have readily said, Yes, Lord, here I am, use me. In Acts 10, 34-35, Peter reminds us that God does not favour an individual because of one's station in life, one's nationality, or one's wealth. He does, however, look at our character and judge our works because God accepts those who fear Him and do what is right. Mary was willing to risk it all for God, her Maker, and you know, that is exactly what faith is all about. Mary was, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Mary was willing to risk it all for Jesus. She was a model of complete trust in God and of personal sacrifice. How about us? Can we put our trust in God wholeheartedly? Is it easy to trust or rather, it is easy to trust God when everything is hunky-dory or when we do not have major is issues to deal with. But how do we respond when things around us seem bleak and dark with no light at the end of the tunnel? Can we still say, I will trust in the Lord regardless? Do you see a common thread in the lives of Job, the widow and Mary? They all had a close, intimate relationship with God and they were fully devoted to Him. They trusted in God's sovereignty and plans, and they walked in absolute obedience and surrender in every aspect of their lives. God looks at our heart, and to help us apply the wisdom of God and grow in our intimacy with Him, 
I have an acronym to help us remember. That is H-E-A-R-T. Okay, this is for the youth. Okay, listen up. Because they say they need acronyms. So I must think of an acronym to help them remember the word. I'm going to test you guys, okay, after the, after the, 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 uh, the word. <laughs> okay, we are to H, humble ourselves before God. Okay, E, exercise our faith in all situations. A, acknowledge God as He directs our paths and be rooted in the Word of God and trust in God's sovereignty and plans for our lives. My friends, the lessons we learned today are not just a history book, but a reminder of the need for us to, to walk in the understanding of knowledge of who God is, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey. It does not matter if we have started badly, but we must end well. Conversely, we may start well, but we must maintain our relationship with God, or we may risk falling away from God. The choice is ours. God is the one who can grant success when we put our trust in Him completely and not in ourselves. It is not about our human intellect, but the favour of God in our lives that we become successful. What God delights in is, have we done our best to serve in whatever stations He places us in? For the, for the students, have you done your best in your studies? In accordance to, uh, God will bless you if you did. For the parents, have you done your best to raise children in accordance to godly values? They will not depart from it when they grow old, if you did. For the workers, have you put in your fair share at work? God will enlarge your influence and promote you in due season, because promotion comes from the Lord. These are kingdom principles, and this is exactly how God's economy works. As we bow our heads, and we'd like to invite the musician to come and close our, our eyes, some of you may have experienced some tragedy or loss in your lives, having sicknesses, fears, and anxieties, and you're feeling overwhelmed by it. Like Job, you can look to God and surrender completely to Him, trusting Him to direct your path. Many of you may be doing your quiet time religiously, spending time with God daily, but do you know God personally? Can you speak confidently about having a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father? Today, God is speaking to you about recommitting your priorities. Some of you may have committed your life to God many years ago, but you have drifted in your relationship with Him. And you are saying, I need to reignite my passion for God once again. I need to return to my first love, that is Jesus Christ, my Lord. For some of you, you are saying, I know that I need God and I want to have a personal relationship with God. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart today. Today you have heard the word and you know the Spirit of God is tugging at your spirit and you know you needed to come back to God and make things right with Him once again. And you are saying, Pastor Carol, please pray for me. If that's you, I want you to respond to God by lifting up your hands. And I'll pray for you.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word that has been released to us today. Lord, we come before you humbly, acknowledging, Lord, our weaknesses and knowing that you are the one who's able to give. You are the one who's able to bless. You are the one who's more than able to do all things. Father, even as we come humbly before you this evening, we pray that you will consider, Lord, you will consider us as worthy vessels. Coming before you, Lord, to ask of you to fill us once again. Lord, for those of us who have walked away, Lord, those of us who have walked away from you, Father, I pray that you will bring them back. For those of us who are struggling, Lord, in areas of our lives, and we do not know how to come out of these struggles, but God, we ask that your mercy and grace be more than sufficient, that you come and fill us so that we know that you did not reject us, but you are still walking with us. Father, we just want to thank you, God, because we know that you are a heavenly, a loving heavenly Father who comes to us when we, when we draw near to you. So Lord, we thank you. And we want to commit every single one of us here and also online, those who are here, watching us here online. Lord, we want to pray and ask that you also be so real, Lord, so real and so close to each and every one of us that we know that we are not alone, we are not forsaken because of your great love for us. And this evening, Lord, we just want to thank you for your great love. And we ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Even as um, Pastor Aaron leads us, just reflect on the message and allow the song to minister to us. <laughs> 